CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Hi, this is Josh Marshall, and this is the Josh Marshall Podcast. Today, uh, believe it or not, we're going to talk about Matt Gates. I don't know, maybe for the entire episode, I'm not sure. I mean, it's, 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 it's a lot to talk about, even though this, this story is only, I, I think, the, the New York Times story, which got the ball rolling, I think came out late, late yesterday afternoon, something like that. And because Gates is a, is a moron, I mean, he, he significantly advanced the story over the, you know, he, he's out tweeting. He spoke to a handful of news outlets were clearly just someone like, hey, Matt, can I talk to you about this? And he's like, sure, let's talk about it. And he, you know, went on and, and said different things. And then he went on Tucker Carlson. I did not actually, I mean, I've seen a few clips on uh, Twitter. I actually did not. Uh, watch the interview. I mean, I was, t- I was trying to have a life, which is, you know, a, like a losing battle for me on many levels. But um, I didn't watch it. But then I saw uh, Josh Kovensky's rundown of it. I guess Josh was, uh, uh, you know, I, I, maybe he didn't have an extra shift. He just did it for, you know, his own his own amusement. But he 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 watched it, and it was insane. I mean, he he, it was already. Gates was already, I think, in an interview with Axios, put out this whole thing about his dad wearing a wire, you know, to to capture there. You know, there's like a again, this is Gates story. There's like a rogue DOJ faction trying to extort him of twenty five million dollars over totally false, definitely not true uh, claims of of sex with underage girls. I never, I never know whether you're supposed to, you know, like girls. I mean, that, that's the point. They're underage. They're not women. They're girls. So one side is extorting him and, and some other group he's wearing a wire for. But it's not him wearing a wire. It's his dad wearing a wire. But remember, Matt Gates is only almost 40 years old. This isn't like he's in like in college and is like, you know, in loco parentis. The parent has to come in and like, you know, help navigate. I mean, what is his dad doing involved in this? The whole thing is, is totally bizarre. And then uh, he starts saying like, and yeah, people saying that there's uh, pictures of me with child prostitutes. That's not true. But like, no one said that. So uh, what? Like you start, you're starting to deny things that no one even um, accused you of. And then at the end, uh, it was the one thing I did see. I saw, I saw uh, Tucker Carlson's like wrap up on the interview. I don't know if it took the whole show or part of the show or how long it went. But the one thing, you know, I, I, uh, I don't know Tucker Carlson. I met him a couple times years and years and years ago. I think I, I think I was maybe on Crossfire when he uh was hosting i can't even remember but the one thing is for all the terrible things about tucker carlson the guy has always had a really strong deadpan right i mean he knocks deadpan out of the park and he's not a dumb guy which is a relevant point we're going to come back to i think a lot over the coming years but in any case it was clear that tucker carlson's take of the interview was sort of like 
that guy's guilty as fuck, and I'm really enjoying this. You know, pass the popcorn on the Matt Gates show. So given that that's Fox, you know, that didn't go well for Matt. So we're going to talk about that. We're also going to talk about something that is uh, has gotten a little attention. I think it will get more attention, should get more attention. That is Republicans who not only voted against the COVID, the Biden COVID relief bill, but in most cases, you know, calling it socialism and everything, you know, kind of it's the it's the it's the worst thing in the world are now out bragging to their constituents about the money it's bringing into the district. Um, and I suspect uh, this is going on even more, you know, it, it gets a lot of attention when, when uh, a, a representative or a senator does it on Twitter because, you know, you got a lot of people following it who aren't just in the district and kind of know the, the incongruency or hypocrisy of it. But I suspect there's lots more going on in the district, a little more, you know, a little more targeted. So we're going to talk about that. Um, Before we do, uh, let me remind you uh, about our sponsor. Spring wouldn't be spring without all the springy stuff. Frisbee, barbecues, picnics, some variation of those things. Oh, and iced coffee. Ring in the springtime with Grady's New Orleans-style cold brew kit. You just add water to the reusable store and pour pouch and brew overnight for velvety smooth coffee. You can drink iced or hot. Bring it to the park, take it camping, add a shot of vodka if you're feeling adventurous. Hey, it's spring. You're allowed to do that kind of stuff. So you're ready to give it a swirl. Get 25% off your first order at Grady'sColdBrew.com with promo code TPM. That's Grady'sColdBrew.com with promo code TPM. And uh, I remember, you know, a couple of years ago, some time ago, we actually had Grady on the show because I was just interested in finding out, you know, kind of what the backstory is. Grady was actually originally in in, in journalism, sort of like, uh, you know, magazine journalism, layout and design uh, uh, stuff, and then, you know, kind of... Uh, made the switch to the iced coffee business just in time before journalism collapsed. So, uh, you know, <laughs> good for good for Grady, yeah. Uh, but anyway, um, David and Kate, what do, we, what do we got going on? Hey, Josh. Hey. So just to back up, you know, a little bit before the New York Times story dropped, I guess just about 24 hours ago, maybe a oh, little right, more, right, right, Axios right. reported that Matt Gates was telling confidants, uh, you know, personal contacts, things like that, that he was considering an early departure from Congress and not to kind of run for higher office, not to seek any other kind of public political uh, type of platform, but to join a conservative conservative media organization uh, in the shape of Newsmax, it seems like. This isn't totally unprecedented, although it's, it's a strange move for a sitting member of Congress to go to kind of a a B-list conservative cable news channel. Um, Jason Chaffetz, the former House Oversight Committee chair, had sort of a similar move in that he left Congress, went to Fox News uh, basically almost immediately. Um, but this Axios story yesterday morning yeah, kind hasn't of... has the guy with the funny hair also done that? Isn't he on Fox now? What's his name? The guy from South Carolina? Trey Gowdy. Yeah. I guess that's true. Although he, I think, is actually like a, a private practice attorney as well. Oh, um, okay. Not full-time. And, yeah. Not full-time. Not, a, not full-time. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so that, that started to raise some eyebrows yesterday. What's, what's going on here? What's, what's kind of behind that? And I guess it was made sense in a way because Republicans in Congress are not really interested in governing or legislating. It really is just a messaging platform. And so why not take that to its natural conclusion and go on TV? But um, 
Kate, I'm curious to get your sense. You know, you, you've been on the Hill a bit. Was there any kind of hint at weirdness with Matt Gates? Was there any, um, you know, was there any kind of indication? Because you got to define weirdness. <laughs> I guess that's true. Um, yeah, just any hints of, I don't know, maybe this was coming down the pike or, or rumors or anything like that that came across your radar or not, or not really? <laughs> well, absolutely not rumors of what it actually was, which is a still unbelievable story. But I think the thing that struck me about Gates is that he's A, quite young, you know, he's only in his 30s, and B, hubs being the center of attention in a very Trumpian way. Um, both of those things which don't, to me, naturally indicate you know, a, a normal exit from Congress. Um, because he's the kind of person who I think he loves being a member of Congress, even though DT, I agree with you, has no interest in legislating, but it's such a good platform for getting attention. Reporters will write about you. Um, you know, he can do dumb things like wear the gas mask on the floor of the house to like ridicule the COVID pandemic. Um, so to me, you know, comparing Newsmax to being a member of Congress, obviously Newsmax does give him the ability to just be kind of like nothing but a troll, but it's definitely not the same level of prominence as being a sitting member of Congress. So it struck me as extremely weird, um, that story. And even if maybe you could guess at sexual impropriety as being behind it, just because that's been the downfall of so many male politicians, this story is just bizarre beginning to end every twist in it is weird the story about the the tax collector in florida that's kind of the beginning of all of this is just so utterly strange and that you know that story is just a story unto itself and then you have the tie-in to matt gates and then you have gates's i don't even know what you would call it because it's not really damage control because he's making things a lot worse but his like media circuit that he did after all this came out just made an already weird dark story 10 times weirder so i don't know i <laughs> i did not have any inkling that this was the thrust of the issue kate do you have let me if i can ask one question do, kate do you have a sense of okay so the guy what is the name is greenberg is it is joel greenberg the guy yeah. who's that like right, tax yeah. assessor in mm -hmm. seminole county florida i was uh, it, this has all been such a whirlwind I, i've been trying to kind of get up to date on all the different dimensions of the story. It wasn't clear to me is it, it seemed, okay, there's the, so crazy. There's the, there's the sex trafficking. And then I think there's also some amount of garden variety, money, corruption, political money, corruption. But did you have a sense of is, is the trafficking with that guy? Is that a situation where it is all focused on a relationship with one minor or is was he involved in something you know kind of broader that's kind of like a jeff epstein situation or maybe we don't know but do you did you get a rough handle on that yeah. on that so thing? my understanding of that situation and the task collector situation is absolutely bananas just to give people kind of like a brief summary of what happened is this guy got elected in 2016 he immediately fired all the staff and hired all the groomsmen who had been in his wedding six months <laughs> prior and just immediately started spending like obscene gobs of money on just nutty things like ammunition, you know, protection. Again, 
tax collector in Seminole County, Florida. Okay, so he did. You know, yeah, that's like a paper. A, that's like a paper pushing job, basically. Right. Not it, like you a, know, they not collect like a SWAT team kind they of. They collect like license fees. Like that's their job. So anyway, he is just doing outlandish things at some point he spends the you know the taxpayer money to buy this whole new computer server system to stand up a private company out of the tax collector's office but manages to do it so badly that he sets the the office on fire it's just like one thing after another wait, and then wait, wait literally sets the office on literally fire? sets it on fire oh, okay. yeah from the computer installation so okay. like it's just one thing after another with him and then that obviously attracts some attention and the craziest thing about this is the orlando sentinel is tracking every one of this guy's movements so it's not like any of this he was doing you know kind of underground um so then there's like an audit of all the stuff that he's spending and these crazy purchases which ultimately kind of culminates in prosecutor well investigators i guess at this point finding that he has been looking up girls including multiple underage girls who are you know he has a sugar daddy relationship with he's been like looking these people up through the driver's license databases that he has access to in his job as tax collector and was looking into making fake ident ids for them and was like trying to replicate the hologram technology and was doing the same with gun permits so so, so basically to hook them up with fake ids so they could circulate as adults i guess right i guess yeah but the but there's a lot of key points here <laughs> but but so the the thing is this was not just one woman girl this was so he he had this was a this was something he was doing with multiple other you know girls and then he brings in his the powers of his office to kind of whip up fake IDs and stuff like that. Right. I mean, I guess to, okay. to be absolutely specific here, I know that there were multiple girls slash women he was doing this with. I guess I don't know off the top of my head how many of them were underage, but there are currently Right. 14. Although what's the point if, if right, they're exactly. not underage? Right, exactly. You think they'd already yeah. have IDs. But I mean, I mean there I, are I guess 14 maybe, federal charges against him. Right. So. I mean, I guess there's conceivably there's an issue between 18 and 21 right drinking but i mean <laughs> yeah okay so weird either way yeah 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 and um josh you were talking about the tucker carlson interview last night there was another weird moment of this that obviously made carlson himself visibly uncomfortable which was gates talking about a dinner that he had with tucker carlson and his wife i want to say in new york this was i don't know if it was a year ago exactly I think but he not said two i thought he said two years ago a couple or years maybe, ago or maybe, maybe yeah. he said a couple which is obviously right so not vaguer, super yeah. not super recent but um said oh yeah you remember uh we were out to dinner you know your wife was there my girlfriend was there and tucker was kind of like um i actually have no recollection what you're talking about or the context of that at all so there's just so many weird layers to this that um well, wasn't there this other thing where he's like oh you know you and I have both been accused yes. of sexual impropriety. So, and okay, so, <laughs> so there's a lot here, but okay, one question I have, is it clear, I mean, my general sense is that maybe he was accused of something that has largely been dismissed as not true. I mean, that's certainly what Carlson seemed to imply. I don't know if that's true, but do we know even what Gates was alluding to? Because no. I, 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 I th first I saw that, um, and again, 
I, who knows what the re? I mean, I'm, I'm just. I'll, I'll tell you what I heard. That that at first I heard that um, that Gates was alluding to something that happened many years. You know, something that that an accusation many years ago that was sort of you know a crazy person accusing him. Something that again, maybe not a crazy person, but as it was presented to me, something that ended up being dismissed out of hand. Nothing to it. Move along. And then there was someone else brought up that um, in one of the you know the endless lawsuits against Fox Fox News uh, about various kinds of sexual harassment and predation in the Fox News ecosystem that Carlson was one of the accused. Precisely what he was accused of, I don't know exactly. Um, <clears throat> but even if we assume that that Carlson does have some history of bad acting in that category, which again, I, I, I have no idea. I'm just saying that as a hypothetical, it's still an odd move when you're on the show trying to get a lifeline, right? To kind of bear hug him and pull him underwater too. I mean, it's just, so yeah. I mean, the thing about this story is that it kind of brings to mind the the last weird Matt Gates personal scandal flavored story, which is when we found out about his son, I guess. In quotation marks, yeah. Yeah, this this guy Nestor, who I guess Matt Gates was dating his sister and then became per Gates like a father figure to Nestor. But the whole thing was super weird because this kid person was just like in pictures, look to be of comparable age with Gates. So that was a weird piece of it. If if not, he was still kind of a teenager, which is a... The whole thing was so strange and nothing that he said ironed it out even a little bit. And we're kind of facing this situation now where it's, it's kind of similar in that you have this wild Florida tax story which connects to Gates. So we know that he has these accusations and then he goes to kind of clean it up on tv and makes it so much more confusing and weird and you know brings up carlson sexual assault accusations and brings up you know people are saying that i have pictures with child prostitutes which no one has publicly accused him of um, or, or even I, I mean not just publicly like that was the first we had heard Right. Of any of that. Like, I mean, like, it occurred know, to me that it's not just no one said it on the record like that was. Right. But I was yeah. just thinking the only thing that possibly makes sense to me is if, if, if he's trying to soften the ground for more accusations that he knows are coming. But it's just like such a weird way to do that. The whole thing is being handled just so strange. And then you have this subplot of which you kind of mentioned, Josh, the the extortion. So and so extortion plot coming from these rogue band of DOJ officials who his father, who seems to be unrelated to everything else, is wearing a wire for the FBI to catch these extortionists in some weird like QAnon flavored plot of, you know, the deep state coming to get him. And the New York Times broke this story early purposely to mess up that extortion plot, which like the natural question is, if you're so concerned about preserving the sanctity of the sting operation, why'd you go on TV and tell everyone your dad's part of a sting operation? So... I guess the the quote unquote DOJ official, former DOJ official Gates is talking about was like a prosecutor in Florida, maybe during the Clinton years. This isn't someone at like 
main justice or a presidential appointee or anything like that. So calling him an official is a bit generous to this person. So just someone who just worked as a government prosecutor at some point. Exactly. Right. Exactly. Um, but I think Gates is trying to, you know, elevate this person's role. And I forget his name. Joseph McKee. Is that? um, McGee. Yeah. yeah. McGee. Yeah. yeah. Um, as part of, you know, well, I guess he's trying to like, like kind of, I mean, so to speak, kind of cue it up a bit. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Because it did, because it, it, it definitely did have that feeling of sort of like, well, so, I mean, <laughs> this is a classic issue of something is overdetermined, but, you know, how much can you try to tease some logic out of things that, that uh, Matt Gates says? But in that flurry of tweets and news appearances and interviews yesterday, on the one hand, he's talking about, you know, the, the the former DOJ official running the extortion plot. Okay, that's one thing. But then he also talks about people at the DOJ. So current DOJ people who are, and he has this funny, you know, kind of re, reinterpreting my generosity towards the ladies as something improper. And he, you know, he, he has this, <laughs> he, and now like, you know, in my single days when like, I think his single days ended like four months ago, maybe <laughs> I, I, like I look, I didn't even know he was, um, I he's guess engaged, he's, right? he's okay, engaged. This is something else we have to discuss in a moment, but okay. go on. Well, let me, yeah, let me, let me keep my train of thought here. Uh, so his single days. And again, I was like, kind of like, wait, is he married? I never, I mean, I didn't know he's married. I look it up and he's got a fiance and it seems like that's, you know, fiance since 2020, like, like since, December 20th, 20, like, you know, how, (laughs) how recent is this? Did he kind of, you know, pick her up after the, you know, after the investigation got started? Um, But he has this way of like this, um, I don't know, kind of Austin Powers sort of sounding thing about, hey, I'm picking up the tab for the ladies. And, you know, I'm, I'm a generous guy with, with all the women in my life. And I'm like, dude, 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 first of all, this is like, I can't, I'm getting a little upset hearing this stuff, but I also don't think it helps you this much, right? Kind of like, I've got a, got a lot of ex-girlfriends on the payroll. Like, dude, <laughs> dude, 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 no. Um, but he, he's, uh, he, he's, he's, he's saying all this stuff, and it... Oh, right, right, I lost my train of thought here. Um, but the point being, so the, the, the bad DOJ officials are setting him up, basically, you know, kind of make it bad that he's so generous with his ex-girlfriends. And I mean, I have some ex-girlfriends in my life that if something, if they were in some, you know, bad life situation, I, I might try to help out or something. But like, I don't, that's not, that's not a thing. You generous with your, I mean, gener- the relationship ends, you're kind of, you know, I don't know, you still paying for meals or paying for hotel rooms that seems that seems weird to me um but so you got the bad doj officials and they're setting him up right or framing him or something and then you've got the other you know the the outside doj official and the way he said it seemed to be kind of trying to kind of group these people together you know kind of as a sort of a a a bad guy faction it at DOJ, but then you've got some other DOJ people who are helping him bring down the the extortion plot, and 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 you hear this, and and at other points he's, I think, and again, David, correct me if I'm wrong, when he's talking about the 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 uh, the dinner with Tucker Carlson, 
the woman who is there with him, and I don't know, maybe I'm, I'm assuming too much saying woman, maybe the girl who's, who's, who's there with him, that he says that DOJ officials were, were pressuring her to testify against him about, about child prostitution, or she'd go to jail. And you start thinking like, I, if, if, if an adult has some kind of improper sexual contact with a minor who's 17, that's generally not going to be something I think federal prosecutors get really involved in. But like if you're pressuring other women to testify about, I mean, that sounds like something much broader, much bigger, if, if that's true. And again, I don't know why he would say it if it weren't true. I mean, since it's so incriminating. Well, and there's also the the strange detail of the some amalgamation of this evil DOJ contingent is trying to get him to admit to this. And the thing that they're holding out as like a prize is a Biden pardon, a pardon from President Biden, which is like, what are you talking about? It just. <laughs> and, and that and the idea was that's what the ex DOJ, so to speak, you know, the, the guy down in Florida, right? That mm-hmm. he's going to he's going to kind of make it he's go, got make Biden in his hands. He's going to make it can, go away. Yep. Yeah. I mean, can you can you, I mean. It's funny just to play this out. Can you imagine if, like, uh, you know, Matt Gates gets indicted next week for some, you know, some bad stuff, and uh, and a couple days later, you see this tweet uh, from Biden. Yeah, I I, I pardoned uh, Matt Gates because he's been treated really unfairly, and this is a full pardon, and it's not. I mean, it's just so. Yeah, and okay, the the piece of it about the fiance that I f- find so strange. Okay, first of all, her name is Ginger Lucky. Maybe that's her real name, but come on. But the other part of it that just strikes me as like so so weird is if you read the New York Times story, it, um, you know, it says by the way, Gates got engaged to Ginger Lucky, twenty six. Uh, you know, in twenty whatever, whenever they got engaged. But the the link to it is a picture from Judge Janine. Janine Pirro on Fox News that she put she put on Twitter this picture was taken apparently when Gates proposed at Mar-a-Lago but like the picture is so weird it's it's so so blurry like all you can tell it's Gates and that he's with like a young woman but her back is to the camera so you only see her back and you don't see her face and like they're he's wearing this weird strained expression and you know judge janine tweeted like he asked ginger and she said yes or something but i'm like you know maybe i'm casting doubt on this woman for no good reason but that part of it i was just like this is not a real person (laughs) like what is this picture wait so he tweeted this no judge janine did but he like wishing them well right but how did you come up how did you it's linked it. in the New York Times story. Oh, that, that's their kind of, this is her, this kind this of random, yeah. Yeah. this the woman's back. to the, yeah. right, yes. right, 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 right. Uh, I'm just saying, I, you know, obviously need to look into it more, but I'm just saying that I think if the New York Times had a, you know, a classic engagement picture that Gates had posted <laughs> when she's like, oh, I said yes, right. whatever. Like, you right, would have right, thought right, they right. would use that instead of this weird, right. drunken, blurry-looking picture from Mar-a-Lago. Right. <laughs> exactly. Well, maybe they'll end up in the NY- NYT vows section, you know, like <laughs> yeah. so many other um, happy couples do. One, one, one 
one more question here. Was there anything in any reporting that said this woman is in communication, she's in politics, she's in media, like anything about her? I've seen very little. No, not that I know of either. Sounds sounds solid. <laughs> yeah. Josh, have you have I mean, you've covered a lot of scandals over the years and we have a, a whole award series dedicated to political scandals. Has there been anything like this in recent memory that you can recall? Any other stories that I don't know might might provide a roadmap for sort of how this plays out or what this what this might end up kind of looking like? <laughs> you know, I I, I probably need to have my memory jogged I, I i really cannot say this precise set of facts is is one that that <laughs> sure. that strikes a lot of chords for me but um I, the, the one thing that does seem familiar to me is that sometimes you will have a story that um that on its own sounds maybe bad but but relatively simple right uh and and again, when I when I first heard this story, when I first saw it yesterday, they had the reference to trafficking, that he was accused of possibly trafficking an un, you know underage minor, and my guard always gets up when that word is used in these contexts because there is very often with investigations of sex workers, prostitutions, prostitution, prosecutors add in trafficking to kind of up the ante of the charges. And I mean, this is a complex topic, but I think it is certainly broadly true that um, prosecutors and various activist groups often will take women working as sex workers um, that at least in a broadly legal sense are doing it of their own volition and try to push it in the direction of sex trafficking to up the ante in terms of prosecution, but from some of the activist uh, stances to take it out of the category of maybe people, maybe we shouldn't be criminalizing sex work. Maybe, maybe you know, maybe that's not the right way to put it, to make it trafficking. And everybody agrees that 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 people shouldn't be enslaved and coerced into into um, into sex work. So anyway, when I first saw that, I was like trafficking, like like okay, maybe he's guilty of statutory rape, but I wonder, you know, is it really trafficking? Uh, and then you start hearing more, and I'm like, okay, <laughs> maybe this actually is a, a sex trafficking situation. So the thing that that uh, uh, is recognizable to me are these cases where it seems simple, kind of, okay, straightforward set of facts. And then the person starts talking and you realize there's something much more, at least more complex, if not worse. So that seems familiar to me. Um, so through his, and I, another thing, like, is this guy have a lawyer? I mean, <laughs> anything else, guilty or innocent, what he did yesterday is totally insane. You don't do that. You don't really, you know, in many cases, you don't say anything. You certainly don't, like, start bringing up other hypothetical crimes and accusing other people of things. So I really wonder, like, does the guy have even have a, a, 
a lawyer? And if so, is the did the lawyer have like a stroke last night? Right? As as, as all this stuff is happening, um, but that's the thing that you, that you just see. There's something much more complex. Much again, I'm not saying necessarily worse statutory rape if that's what happened is is you know pretty bad right off the right off the bat but it certainly seems like that that this is something big and bad and and uh i think at a minimum probably not great for gates's political career um but even you know one one final point i think i mentioned this in the post this morning this idea that there's this extortion plot and wearing a wire is not entirely mutually exclusive of the story that the that um, that the Times ran yesterday. In fact, one you can sort of easily imagine them both being true. Let's again, we're talking hypotheticals here. Uh, Gates is in some way connected to sex with minors. Uh, maybe crossing state lines, maybe other people involved, blah, 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 blah. He's being investigated for that along with other people. And then someone finds out about that investigation and tries to shake him down for money that he'll, that they'll go public. Um, and maybe one, one group of federal prosecutors is investigating that alleged crime and some other group is working the extortion racket, and both are going on at the same time. Um, I, it, as big of a buffoon as Gates is, it's a little hard for me that he would invent out of whole cloth this wearing a wire thing. That's a very specific thing, unless they're talking about like a DIY wire, you know, that they 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 went kind of CSI themselves and are trying to you know do some uh, Q investigation, but. It's a, like I said, I don't think it's good for his political career. Yeah, and I think one thing that's like kind of coming into play here that we talked about briefly before we came on air is that, you know, Gates is the ultimate poster. Like, that's all he really seems to want to be in Congress to do. He likes the attention of scandal, you know, as evidenced by the gas mask on the House floor. And, you know, he's, he often does kind of things to stir the outrage pot. He like he goes on Fox News an average of like I think I saw the figure 84 minutes a month or something. He likes he likes the spotlight. You know, I think that's hard to deny. And so we've had these like you know, it's almost in that category of oh there's a tweet for everything but looks even weirder at this point of him kind of almost dropping breadcrumbs indicating that there is some big you know, investigation under the surface or something. We were talking about how he has a tweet, a recent tweet about how if he ever had a scandal, it should be called Gatesgate. But like, there's kind of a lot of stuff like that that makes you wonder if last last night's media circuit was in part, he likes being the center of attention and has cultivated his whole political career on being the center of attention, even when in this case, the thing that he is the center of attention for looks like it could certainly ruin his political careers, if not lose him his freedom. Um, but, you know, I think you have those 
those kind of instincts are at odds with him because, you know, at least he's the story. At least he's the headline. At least everyone wants a piece of Matt Gates right now. I mean, that's kind of why he got into the game or at least how his career shifted pretty, pretty quickly, you know, as soon as he hitched his wagon to Trump. So, I mean, I guess it's, what is it, you know, all, all publicity is good publicity. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) All right. Well, obviously lots more to come on this and we are just in the very early days and hours of kind of understanding what's going on in this story. So we'll have to uh, come back in future episodes and, and let everyone know what's going on, but maybe we can spend the last little bit of the show talking about what started as a tweet from you yesterday, Josh, and ended up as an assignment for Kate, kind of a nice uh, serendipity when that happens, but you coined the PM pipeline. Exactly. You (laughs) coined Josh, you coined the term stolen relief valor for a number of Republican politicians who voted against the American relief plan, the, the big Biden uh, stimulus package, COVID relief package, but have had no issues going back to their constituents or their home districts or whatever. And, and uh, you know, waving around how great this money is for their constituents and their districts. Uh, we had Madison Cawthorn, who I think was the most recent example, uh, young congressman from, is it Maryland? That's North Carolina. Uh, North Carolina. Sorry, North Carolina. Um, we had Senator Roger Wicker, a couple other people. And Kate, tell us, tell us who else is in on this uh, gambit and kind of what the deal is with it. Yeah, so I mean, they kind of run the spectrum from someone like Wicker, who the day that the House passed the COVID relief package, sending it to Biden's desk, you know, blasts out a a tweet attached to a press release being like, wahoo, now restaurants are going to get some funding, like, yay, so exciting, which, you know, he got pretty immediately pulverized on Twitter for being a senator that not many people know who he is for, you know, touting a part of the plan that he voted against. And Cawthorn has done the same. There are some people who have done it kind of more quietly, um, like you have uh, Glenn Greenthrop in uh, Wisconsin. He's a representative who, you know, tweeted out like, next round of stimulus checks are coming kind of thing. And then you have Lee Zeldin in New York uh, being quick to tell a local outlet that actually some parts of the plan were based off legislation that he wrote, (laughs) even though he didn't vote for it. Um, And then you've got kind of this weird um, situation with Maria Salazar in Florida, who seemed to be taking credit for a part of the relief plan. She was actually taking credit for a a different um, policy decision from the Small Business Administration that still seemingly had nothing to do with her legislation. So it kind of runs the gamut. But the piece of it that's been most interesting to me is, you know, I've been watching a lot of um, Nancy Pelosi's press briefings lately. And the week that the relief package ultimately got passed, even the days before that happened, she almost every day was kind of pounding this this quote she coined, um, you know, they say no, and then they take the dough, kind of like, preparing the narrative of Republicans are going to take credit for this, even though they're not going to vote for it. And I think in some ways it's really reminiscent of 2009 where this happened, but Republicans were much more shameless in voting against Obama's stimulus package after forcing it to be small and less effective, voted against it, and then just brazenly took credit for all these kind of like hometown projects that got federal funding. Um, You know, McCarthy did that, McConnell did it, Scalise did it. Think Progress had a tracker at the time of over a hundred lawmakers who voted against the stimulus then took credit for it when it helped their, you know, their districts or their states. So I think this time, it seems to me that Pelosi has, 
learned from that experience and has kind of been trying to get out ahead of the ball. And her office has been so aggressive. Every single time a lawmaker even inches in the direction of taking credit for it, bam, there's a press release with the, you did not vote for this. Like you are trying to claim credit. So were you able to use their like press release list to kind of get a get a head start on who's it did, done uh, yeah okay, it yeah, gave me yeah. a few that i hadn't seen before because um, because i don't think I, I i mean i have been sort of had my eye out for this on twitter and uh i don't think i'd heard about zeldin or the guy in wisconsin the other ones i, I heard either, about yeah. um now were those were those cases where they did it like in local media the Zeldin was one was, but the Wisconsin guy just tweeted it. He just doesn't have a very big following. Yeah, I mean, some of these guys have like you know, 10, 10 Twitter followers. Right. <laughs> I mean, but the thing that's also kind of funny to me is that, which is kind of what put the connection in my head, is that Obama had a he spoke to this a couple of times. Once when there was Republicans in the audience who had taken credit for it, but he had this town hall in New Hampshire in two thousand ten where he was, you know, kind of like working the room in his Obama-ish way and was, you know, said. It didn't take very long for these Republicans to, you know, turn around and, and take credit. You know, they all voted against it. And then they were at all these uh, ribbon cutting ceremonies in their districts. And the thing that just struck me is Pelosi has been using that phrase ribbon cuttings like every time she talks about this. So I was just like, it is so clear in her brain that I am not letting this happen again, or at least I'm going to do everything I can to stop it. Because I think you're right, Josh, that like, you got the wickers who are going to put it on Twitter and get absolutely murdered for it. But you are going to have people who get this into, you know, direct mailings or small, low profile events that are kind of harder for reporters to track and identify. Well, well that, you know, the other thing is, is that uh, and there's always a, you know, a line between campaign stuff and, and the congressional franking stuff. You know, one of the things uh, bedrock since the beginning of the Republic that members of Congress can send mail for free to their constituents, updating them on what they're doing as their representatives in Congress. Makes a lot of sense. Um, And there's always this, you know, kind of fine line. What's updating them on what you're doing and what's campaigning, right? And you obviously can't, you can't campaign with public money, but at, at some level, it's it, it's legitimately hard to know where that you know where that line is. You can't say, "Hey, vote for me," but right. look at all the great stuff I'm doing. And I would imagine that those that those uh, constituent males are going to be full of this stuff. And at some level, at some level, to play devil's advocate, um, th- there's some role for saying, "Hey, there's you should sign up for this or you should sign up for that." I mean, they owe it to their constituents to to let them know about things that are happening relevant to them, even if they voted against it. But, and, and those things are in the nature of things, uh, you know, pretty invisible, right? I mean, they're kind of, they're not hidden, but you've got to be uh, someone who lives in the district to get the mail. Um, and that's actually something that we at TPM have, have, uh, have uh, done a lot with over the years because we have such a strong uh, bond with our readers that we can kind of put out like, hey, you know, t- keep an eye on your mail. You know, what are you seeing? Because um, we've got, you know, we've got readers in every single district, uh, obviously, in, in the country and people uh, see that kind of stuff. But I, I, I imagine it's going to happen a lot, although, although it does seem like, you know, maybe Republicans have learned a bit of this lesson, too, and are trying to kind of keep a little 
under, you know, under the radar that really I think kind of it's only Wicker and Cawthorn who've, you know, kind of just like like run right in th- into the propeller on Twitter right. on that. Yeah, and I think an interesting piece of this too is that Republicans just have very few options with what to do with the COVID relief package. And you could kind of see this for the whole progression of the legislation that they never really coalesced behind an effective attack line. You know, they were kind of all over the place. It was it was socialism or it was woke or it was too big and it was hurting the deficit. You know, it was just like they never really found one thing. And in part, I think that's because the package is so overwhelmingly popular. And even to people who don't really follow politics, we're in a pandemic and there's resulting economic devastation. I think to most people, the natural next step is that the government comes and helps you. So that's a hard thing to program against. And then we saw the next step of that when you had kind of Ron Johnson and all these Republicans being like, we're going to make it so painful to pass this. Like, we're going to hold the floor and it's going to be so hard. And that fizzled out after like 12 hours, basically. Um, And so now it's passed. And what do you do now? Because now the bill is going to be at its most popular point, because for most people, I think this bill is going to, in their heads, just be the stimulus check, which is something that people like. and if you can get people to engage with the smaller parts of it, most of that is pretty, you know, common sense funding. So now, as McCarthy said at a recent press conference, which I found so striking, but he basically expressed his hope that like the stimulus package, the COVID relief package will become less popular because it won't be as effective as Democrats hope it will be, which is just like a step back. What a craven thing to say in the middle of a pandemic and economic devastation that affects his constituents too. Like he doesn't like Democrats, but he is publicly rooting for this aid to American people to fail. And it's not even like a big, jarring, huge headline moment. That's just kind of, that's accepted. But I mean, that's where they're kind of at. Just so now they don't really have, I think, a way forward, except for hopefully for them muddying the waters so their constituents aren't really sure if they voted for it or not. And then they can sneakily take credit and, you know, run for it and run on it in 2022 if that's when they're up. One thing that uh, two points on that 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 strike me. One is that, as, as you say, the deficit the whole deficit spending debt, that whole kind of thing is just doesn't seem there for them. And some of that is just that the whole country is in a different place now than it was a decade ago. But to a great extent, I think it it is an instructive example that when Democrats stopped engaging on that, it just sort of like collapsed for Republicans. And if you go back to 2009, 2010, that was really the issue, that that Democrats, at least as valuable as Republicans, like, yep, we still got to follow, you know, got to pay attention to the deficit, need to come back and deal with the deficit, need it. So as long as as Republicans were able to say, oh, yeah, you know, you admit the deficit is so important and you're blowing it on the deficit. But again, so the power of it was being able to play off Democrats engaging that. And Democrats have pretty much top to bottom on this round basically said, that don't matter. It doesn't matter. And it also doesn't matter. And that is just kind of, you know, deflated Republicans. You know, they, they, there just doesn't, not a lot to that. The other point, though, that I think is important to remember, even though this 
package is not only more generous than the ones last year, it's obviously in a period where the economic fallout is less acute than it was in, you know, April of, 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 of 2020. So, and, and then it does other things that are just dramatically different and more expansive child, you know, refundable uh, child tax, all these, all these different kind of things. Having said all that, it is, I think, you know, they'll still try, but it is, it is inherently more difficult for Republicans to kind of run hard against this when they just did two of them, two of their own a few months ago. They literally did another one in December. So it, it's, you can say it's, it's too much, it's too, all these kind of things, or you can just say things that are hypocritical and ridiculous, but the public knows like, yeah, I got a couple checks last year. Glad to get another. Right. right. I mean, that, that just, that's puts them in kind of a box. Trump made it a big part of his kind of not closing message exactly, but kind of a big part of the end of his presidency too, right? Pushing for a $2,000 check. It's not, it's not big enough if it's not like that. And so it's hard to argue against that when, the head of your party has been singing that tune as well. And not, you know, not just the stimulus checks, but just the huge government spending under Trump too, right? I mean, it just rings a bit more hollow when all of a sudden you flip the switch and the Democrats in power and all of a sudden the debt and deficit are the biggest concerns. And, you know, right. I think people are a little bit wise to that. And I think yeah. if there was a part of the COVID relief plan that was easy for Republicans to kind of demonize, like in the in the culture war way that they generally go against things now, we would hear about that. Um, but, you know, like you said, like you mentioned, Josh, like the child tax credit is like this huge revolutionary anti-poverty measure that Republicans of old probably would have balked at how expensive it is and how expensive getting it in making it permanent is going to be really expensive. I mean, that's something that like, I think advocates and detractors alike acknowledge it would be an expensive policy. Advocates just think it's worth it for the, you know, the bevy of social good it would do. But this time, child tax credit hardly came up at all during the debate, you know? And in part, I think that's because we as a society have moved a bit away from the welfare queen thing and it makes it harder to demonize the poor than it once was. But even still, I mean, I was just struck by, I think this whole, the whole process of this bill, you know, from soup to nuts, Republicans were largely disengaged. They kind of put up this like half-hearted fight at the end and obviously none of them voted for it. And there was some, you know, Susan Collins griping about they didn't do enough to come over to me kind of thing, but largely, disengaged and then pretty quickly after it passed started pivoting to the border stuff and pivoting to the Iowa 2 stuff and like trying to find things that kind of fit in their arsenal of culture war battles better than this package did I, I would say the one to what what really just underscores your point is that the one message about the relief bill that I heard consistently during the last week or two of the legislative process was this whole thing about, oh, relief checks for murderers and child molesters and all this kind of stuff. And I don't know, I never figured out exactly um, kind of what the story was there. But I think it's just like if you if you say if you pass a law that says everybody in this income category gets a check, you can't all you can't kind of say like, oh, but not bad people. Right. Not the moral guardrails on it. Yeah. And, and I think that it's as near as I could tell to the extent this one does that, the other ones did it too. But the but I, I guess the point is, is that 
they were not, you know, as you say, the traditional thing would be to say, ah, you know, the same people already on welfare, getting more money, all this kind of stuff. You have to, you have to come up with these kind of like weird culture war carve outs about, ah, mass murderers getting them. Ted Bundy, if he weren't dead, would also be getting one. <laughs> like, just like, okay, like, you really, you seem to be struggling on the kind of the broad merits of the, of the, of the thing. Right. Which I also think is something we are not going to see going forward, just because most of the legislation kind of like percolating from Democrats um, is Republicans have easier uh, kind of messages to come against it. You know, with the the voting bill, all you're going to hear about is voter fraud and incarcerated people getting to vote and things like that. And then uh, guns doesn't even worth saying. Like, we know what they're going to do against that. I mean, I think the first real test is going to be infrastructure part one, which is going to be, to my understanding, more kind of nuts and bolts infrastructure. And then the second half of the package is expected to have the permanent child tax credit and kind of more uh, job type, social safety net ish, you know, those kind of things. Um, the hope being, I think that the, the first one might even attract Republican support if it's more like fixing bridges. Um, though uh, that being said, there's going to be a ton of climate stuff in there that they're not going to like, but you know, that I think is going to be our next test to see like, how do they demonize infrastructure? Like how do they decide to kind of go against this thing that, is common knowledge like that used to be a fertile ground of bipartisanship because everybody needs their states and their districts to have like functioning roads and everything um but you know that's kind of i think the next thing and the next let kind of legislation that we're headed towards that could actually get passed because they're planning on doing it through reconciliation so that's going to be like our next test of this and is and is is the idea of breaking those two up that you might get some Republican buy-in on the first if it's mainly roads and bridges, even if there's a climate component to it? That is the idea, though, honestly, I don't really get that because, you know, Chuck Schumer is trying right now to get more reconciliation vehicles past the parliamentarian. Like, his staff has had a, a creative reading of the law, um, the, you know, behind the budget, which they think w- uh, is kind of like a loophole to let them do more stuff by reconciliation this year. But, you know, that fully hinges on either the parliamentarian's ruling or democratic appetite to overrule the parliamentarian, which hasn't been there before. So they only have one more reconciliation vehicle this year that you can count on. So it's been a little confusing to me why you would separate it out into one package that you think might get Republican buy-in, even though you don't really need it if you're doing it through reconciliation, and then keeping the stuff that Republicans seem more naturally disposed to be against in your second package, which might not be able to be done during reconciliation. I mean, unless maybe he thinks he doesn't have the votes to get that, you know, the second half of stuff at all. So you're just kind of like separating it out, but that's not entirely clear to me. I wonder if it's possible that there, that, that, you know, splitting into two strategies sort of contingent on getting more bites at the reconciliation apple. Yeah. That that they might shift gears if, if the uh, parliamentarian, you know, says no. Yeah. Sort of, uh, uh, nixes this, this, this new idea, because as you say, I mean, if, if it's, if they're not sure if they have the votes for, for 50, I mean, they're not going to get 60. That's right. for sure. Yeah. Um, and, uh, yeah, well, I mean, and we'll, I've also, we'll I've wondered if it's like an artificial attempt to make the price tag seem lower, but like, we're already 
we're talking trillions, you know, like this first half of the infrastructure bill is right now pegged to be around three trillion. So to like, I, I cannot picture what a trillion dollars looks like. I just don't know. So like you tell me it's three trillion, you tell me it's six trillion. I just think to most Americans, you're like, yeah, it's a lot of money. I don't, I don't know if going above, you're going from three to six is really going to like calm the austerity people or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good point. Yeah. Who knows? All right. Well, that's a good place to leave it today. But we'll we'll be back next week with more Gates Gate. Oh, almost assuredly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, remember uh, the Josh Marshall podcast is brought to you by Grady's Cold Brew Ice Coffee. You can get twenty five percent off your first order at Grady's Cold with promo code TPM. All right. See you right. next week. Thanks. All guys. right. Later, folks. <laughs> <laughs>